0: I have been praying and reflecting some on this day, because this is a really important day, Promotion Sunday. And I found that as I was praying about it, I felt the Lord was speaking to me about Promotion Sunday for all of us. So the children have gone, the teachers have gone, uh, but we are here. And I'd like to talk about Promotion Sunday for all of us, All right. Because, you know, really think about it, life is like that. He's, it's never static. It's we are never settled in one place. You know, a lot of times we want to settle. We find a space and a habit and uh, people around us, and then we just sort of stick to this, and we say that this should happen for, all, for the rest of our lives. I remember one time uh, um, somebody in, uh, in a small group was saying, I don't want to stop meeting in the small group. I envisage that we will grow old together, knitting together. We will move from a Bible study group to a knitting group. And she was actually serious about that. But I I get that. I get that. When you get a sweet spot, you want to stay in that spot. But life is not like that. You are always being promoted uh, in the sense that, you know, you're always moving. God's always moving. And if you're not moving, the world is moving around you. So relative to the world moving around you, you may be actually going backwards. But there's a way in which promotion is something that is a fact of life. And I think that you're constantly finding that God is promoting you. And the promotion is not that easy, yeah? In fact, for some people, it's actually quite scary. It's a whole change, but it's a change that we may not feel that we are prepared for. Promotion is, has to do with going to a vacated space a space that has been vacated by the people who went before you. What do you say? What do you think? Yeah, It's a vacated space. It's a vacant space. And because of the purpose of God and the desire of God for you and me, He wants you and me to actually enter into vacated spaces. Spaces that are there not forever for you or for the person before you, but there is a a situation in which the Lord may speak to you and He says, the Lord has need of you. That happens, yeah, that happens. And so I think of um, promotions Sunday as entering into a vacated space, a space of need, a space that has been vacated perhaps by someone else before you. And that happens because the church is a missional church and because of the fact that God is always leading us, there will be a coming and going as well. There are people that God brings into the church for a while And then God says, I'm moving them on. What say you? Because God is a moving God. But it always leaves a vacation. I was going to say vacation. No vacation. Some vacation. A vacated space for you. And Promotion Sunday talks about the fact that when God wants to move you into a vacated space, that vacated space is a promotion, a stepping into kind of thing. And I would like to talk about someone who got promoted, and his name is Timothy. Timothy was about to face two things. I, I mentioned that, um, well, two, two big areas that I wanted to talk about. He was about to face times that are going to be very, very trying. Yeah. I mentioned that the, the epistle of Paul to Timothy was written about 6, AD 63 to AD 67, somewhere, somewhere around that time. And probably Timothy didn't know that in AD 64, there would be the fire that happened in Rome that would devastate many, many districts. And now some people believe that it was, that it was uh, perpetrated by Emperor Nero himself. Nero himself was a, a, a king that, uh, sorry, an emperor that had, be, that had gone bad. He had started off quite well, but he, he went bad. And in his narcissism, he demanded that all citizens worship him. But because of this fire, we, never, we don't know whether it's he who, who perpetrated it or someone else, he used that fire to be a scapegoat, to, to scapegoat Christians, and a tremendously wide, one of the wider uh, persecutions happened upon the church during that time. The madness of Emperor Nero as well as the cunning of Emperor Nero, impacted the church in such a way that many Christians were persecuted and died. And what happened in in Rome spread throughout the whole Roman Empire, everywhere. Timothy was about to be promoted to bishop at Ephesus or he had just been. We don't really know. We can't really say these things exactly. But he was entering into that spot, that space, that vacant space. Not only that, those of you who know your history, from between 63, 64, and 70, there was a short space of time in which by AD 70, the the rebellion... Uh, among the zealots in Jerusalem took place. It was brutal, brutal. By AD 70, the whole of Jerusalem was destroyed. There was not one brick upon each each other, and uh, blood rained in the streets, and the temple was was, uh, defiled. So during that period, Timothy was about to enter into a very, very difficult time and he had to lead the church. He himself was put into prison. If you read Hebrews, Hebrews mentions Timothy has just been released from prisons. Yeah. So he himself went into prison. And how was God or how was Paul going to prepare Timothy, who seemed to have been a little bit of a, of a timid person, had stomach problems, weak stomach, and all that, to become bishop of Ephesus, highly prominent, therefore highly targeted, and yet be able to lead the group. The whole of 2 Timothy has to do with preparing Timothy and the church for difficult times. For difficult times. In many ways, that is the desire and the calling that God has put upon our church to prepare ourselves. That during such times, we will not be entering into our demise, but actually we will enter into our promotion. And that's why God says in Isaiah chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will see, be seen upon you. Amen? We are not We are not anticipating that the times ahead Will push us into oblivion, on the contrary, the times ahead would push us into the center unless you're a Christian who really doesn't stand for Jesus, then you will just be mixed up with with whatever it is but he will it will push us into the forefront, either for good or for bad either for uh, as as some christians were were pushed into the coliseum among the gladiators or towards being used by god and being a source of supernatural help to the world i choose to believe that what god has been doing in among among us and is continuing to do us is a very unique thing that will actually get us ready and the the, the normal things that perhaps christians may be looking for may not be exactly Um, salient, germane, to what God has for us. Okay? And so, here's Timothy. He's getting ready for promotion. That's why when we are praying for the children, I am actually extremely exercised to pray for them because, and I pray for them almost every day, at least in the Spirit. I pray for them because I know that they are going to be entering into promotions that are fiery. They are not going to be in familiar places and I wanted to, 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 to sort of just mention that as we speak today, speaking for ourselves, but we are speaking in answer to the question, how do we prepare our children for difficult times? For difficult times in which their core Christian allegiances and beliefs are contrary to the morality, the ethics, or the... Uh, the, the, the orthodoxy of the day, and they will find that in school. And so, f- far less than wanting to actually do things that satisfy our, uh, our, our flesh, I believe God is giving us a certain amount of time. It's not too late for us children to be ready to hear His voice, to know Him in a solid way, to know that we know that we know it, and to be convinced, convinced and convicted about Him. Not about doctrines only, those are important though, but of Him. And you will find that there's a verse in chapter 1 of Second Timothy that he says, that um, about, he talks about um, suffering and all that. And verse 12 of chapter 1 says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able, or convinced that he is able, to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now what we need, one of the experience is this, God's bringing our children closer to him to such an extent that they know not what they believe, but they know whom they believe. Huge difference, right? Hello? If you know what you believe, you could be shaken off it because knowledge in the head doesn't have necessarily any life itself. But if you know whom you have believed, that one, one upon you whom, whom you believe will talk back to you, and He will uphold you, and He will do things to you more than you do to Him. And we're talking about the Lord. Amen? What we want is a living faith for our children and for ourselves, so much so that in the days to come, I used to teach my my children uh, something in the car as they went to school. With Christ in the vessel, we will smile at the storm, smile at the storm. Do you know that song? Smile at the storm. With Christ in the vessel, we will smile at the storm, as we go sailing home. Okay, I I won't burden you with more of my voice and they still sing it because they have more storms now. <laughs> okay, let's read First uh, Timothy and we'll read uh, bits of chapter chapter 1 because I've already taken too much time introducing this. Paul, an apostle of G- Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God, whom I serve, as I did, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember your, you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, all right, genuine faith, the real substance of faith, the pure faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Um, stop here a little bit. We, last week, just for, just for a quick refresher, we talked about the fact that Paul is an apostle, not, not about a particular set of doctrines only or a philosophy, but he is an apostle of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He is an apostle sent to bring forth something that is supernatural, that is in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm a sent one to to impart to you that life that is in Christ Jesus. It's not a human life. It's a divine life. It's a life that came in the person of the Holy Spirit through the cross. He took upon Himself our own life, our own body of sin. And gave us the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the divine life of Christ, so that your life is not your own; it's not identified with your particular uh, particularities, your ethnicity, your education, your background, your what people call you, your past. But is identified with the new life of Christ that's in you. We dare not identify ourselves any other way. Least of all the way we identify ourselves, except as with Christ. So what Paul is say, saying is this, I'm, I'm an apostle of that. And this is what Christianity is about. Christianity is not, it's not about a way in which we arrange our lives or value things or relate to people only. But it's about the substance of Christ that is solid. It is, you know, the, 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 uh, some people call it the solida veritas, the truth that is solid. Not a correct belief, but a solid thing. It exists whether you believe it or not. It doesn't need you to believe it for it to exist. The solida veritas, the, the solid truth. Not just statements of that are true, but the solid thing, independent of us. And so what, what Paul is saying is that I'm an apostle of that. And so all of Timothy, all of the New Testament is about that. Not just a way in which we arrange ourselves ethically, but it has to do with, Who God is in us and what He is doing, okay. And so He talks about the sincere faith, the genuine faith, real stuff—not the stuff that is a mixture of mind stuff and emotions and 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 God, but the, the 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 pure presence of God in us. Yeah. So He's talking about that. Whenever we talk about Christianity, we talk about. Everything that comes from this solida veritas, this real thing, this real life that is in Christ Jesus. If you're not talking about that, then you're I'm not actually talking about Christianity. You're talking about some religion. Okay? okay, let's move on. Therefore, do not be ashamed of my testimony, the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Imagine that. He's talking about this substance in which has been made manifest by Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What he's basically saying is this. The, the, the pagan cultures on his day always are looking for the immortality that comes from spirits and from angels and from gods. And what Paul is saying is this. Christ has brought life and immortality, the God life, immortality to light. So brought it up. It was buried in people's imaginations. It was deep down in people's desires and hopes. But what God was saying is this, it is now being brought to light because of Christ. And I'm wanting to talk about that. I want, to, I want the whole church to surround that. I want you, Timothy, to be about that. You're close to it, always interacting it, flowing out from it. Yeah. And so that's what Paul is saying. We are interested in that. We are interested in that because that is crucial for the days ahead. Verse 11, For which I was appointed appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, this immortal life, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, but I know whom I have believed. That's why the thing that he sent for is not a thing, not a, a set of doctrines or beliefs or philosophies, but it is a whom. It's a person. But I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words, and you will, that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let's stop here for a little while. So, Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says, It's his son. Timothy's his son. Just as we may have children in us. And he's concerned that in the day of testing, Timothy and the church in Ephesus, and the church all around Asia Minor, will be able to shine brighter, not be snuffed out. That is the challenge that is before him. Timothy, as newly elder and bishop of Ephesus, Was standing before, right before this vacant space, in which this space was fraught with many dangers, many toils, many snares. And what Paul was concerned is, as we are, we, we are too, that Timothy will not only stand, but he will be able to raise a church that will stand in the evil day. When you ask the question, this different question, not what will bring people to church, although that is a very important question, but also what will keep people in the faith in hard times, then you may get different answers, and you may be led a little bit differently. And I think about it, both in terms of Paul's fatherhood of Timothy, you can see he's very affectionate towards him, and our own father-motherhood over our own children, don't you think? What, What do we do? What do we do to prepare ourselves? How can we raise up Timothy's, who may be our biological children, or our spiritual children? That is always the question that is in my heart. I know teaching does something, but it's not everything. At some point, my children will need to practice again and, again and again and again and again and again and again, until it comes into their 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 very marrow bone, the things that are truth. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And. Uh, maybe discuss a little what we uh, as just ordinary people face even as we want to do that yeah i'm going to jump around a little bit because i thought that as as i was speaking, something sort of popped up to my mind, and I'm going to share this right now. Um, If you can look with me further down the the page into um, verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." The word pattern is is one way of translating it. A more full translation is, follow the form or the, the embodied form, yeah? Not a formal form, but an embodied form of sound words. What Paul is saying is this, Timothy, what you saw in me was something that was spiritual life, bodied form in the human person in me. Follow that. So what Paul is saying is this, that thing that Timothy was supposed to follow is not a right doctrine, yeah? So many Christians are fighting, I think, the wrong battle. They're wanting to fight, make sure that everybody believes the same way that they do. But Paul is not so, not as concerned about that. He's concerned that people follow the form or the substance, right? This is the way in which form and substance mean the same thing. Form the, the, the way in which they have seen Christ's life, not talked about only, but lived out in themselves. Does that make sense? So what's going to happen is this. Our children, our church, is going to see how we go through trials, how we go through things and face difficult things. In fact, our children are going to experience difficult things when they go to school. Possibly tomorrow itself. What say you? Because of that, I'd like to talk a little bit about something that's very particular, and I will call it car time. Car time. Because of the fact that we spend so much time in the car, and we can sometimes think that the car Driving back and forth, you know, I hear people say, I to drive back and forth, right? It's almost as, as if when people say, I'm driving, their tone actually lowers. It kind of drags, I'm driving. How long, how long is your commute? It's one hour each way. I remember when I used to, to, to drive my children to, to practice, uh, uh, swimming practice, it was one and a half hours each way. Actually, one hour, one and a half hours one way and about one hour going back. And people said, it's a long commute. It's, I'm driving. I want to put it to you that car time is the most precious time that you can have. Not only for your children, but for yourself. Car time is when you didn't have a complete quiet time and you really need to connect with God because what you're going to meet is an ugly-faced boss on the other side of the of the traffic. Car time is what you're going to be equipped with, that special amount of time in which God gives you the special unction, special thing. He just twists our heart a little bit, to turn our heart so that it's not in the wrong place. Car time is the time in which God has given to each one of us in this day and age, time to connect with God. What do you think? Now, car time is the time in which your children will be going to school. And most of them will be in a bad mood, true? Okay, your children are different. And they are apprehensive about school. There's enough that's happened last, last week or yesterday that makes them not want to see that ugly-faced bully out there, or the other person is constantly needling them, or someone who's always putting them down, putting them down, putting them down. You know, for children, it's really a big deal. I know what it's like to be in school and not enjoy people around me because of the fact that I was Chinese living in England. And during those days, that was in the late 60s, early 70s, you get ridiculed until there's nothing left in you for being Chinese. People are stretching out their eyes, all all that about you, and you have no answer. How do you answer a joke? True? You don't don't have to pity me. Don't Don't worry about it. I'm over it, I'm healed. But I know what it is to be that way. And you know, one of the things that was great was that my dad, we didn't, in England we didn't have a car. A lot of people in England don't have cars. They actually just use the public transport. Public transport is great. My dad would sometimes walk with me and take me to the bus, and then he will talk to me. And then he will ask me a question that made all the difference to me. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Now, as a boy, I don't like to tell them that I'm afraid. But there happened to be a person who, when my first day, the first day that I arrived in, in England, I was maybe about 11 years old. Two boys on a bicycle came and cornered me and started extorting money from me. I was 11 years old, and that's my first experience of England. Actually, the first experience was when I left my father's camera in the plane and didn't bring it out. So England was not a really great experience to begin with. It got better. And my dad would tell me, ask me, what do you fear? And I had plenty of things to fear. And my dad said, okay, we'll pray for that. And we'll just do that. He didn't try to convince me that I should not be afraid. He didn't tell me that you, know, you, have, you have to have a good attitude. I think he, t- he did correct my attitude at certain times when it's needed. But more importantly, he gave God a chance to be real in my life. Can you see, a form of godliness was actually being, be, being, being, being uh, um, approached. And what would happen was that, sometimes I would be really bummed out about having to go to school, and my dad would just ask me, what do you need to pray for? And we'd do that. Now, we didn't have a car, but you have cars, most probably. You have car time, right? Car time can sometimes be not that profound, but what it'll do is that it gives us space to, to let God cover around the actual needs, the things that are in our children's hearts every day. What say you? Car time is a time in which most of us, when we are driving, are a bit stressed out, actually. So the challenge is this. Your children are in the car. They are really stressed out and they don't know to ask you for help, you are driving the car, but you're thinking of your boss, or you're thinking of your challenge, or a meeting you're supposed to have, and you are thinking about it, and you are distracted by that. And what happens is that two great opportunities take place side by side, and many people miss it in car time. I want to put it to you that car time is a great time. Amen? For your own self or for your children. Now, what I did with my children—you may want to try this—is that I would sometimes put in audio by, audio books into the audio tapes in those days, or audio CDs. In that, and in the short distance between our house and John and Don Benito, we actually covered over a few years several books. Yeah, several books. It's really great. One of the books that we we, we covered—I think I shared this before—is a thing called the the Epic of Gilgamesh, okay, Epic of Gilgamesh. And all my children would just listen to it, they would understand a little bit of it, not much of it, because they were, they were quite young, but I would just play the Epic of Gilgamesh, partly for myself, but for them as well. Guess what? When Kaylin was in Hopkins, she was... She had a professor who was a very, very prominent professor. He's the, uh, he's uh, uh, well known internationally. And she took his class on uh, ancient history, ancient ancient Near Eastern history. And each time when he commented to her, he would ask, "Where did you learn this?" Her, Her friends. didn't want to read all this extra stuff, they would say, where do you learn this? How do you know all this? She realized that while he was talking in the class, the stories, the obscure stories that he was talking about were something that were very, very familiar with him, with her. She knew about Enkidu. She knew about um, uh, Nasser Pellaser. She knew, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh is is kind of a, a, Archetypal story that's like the Noah story, yeah, and so she was able to do really well, so I remember when uh, when uh, uh, he saw her on the on the, on, on the in the corridor asking and she said hi to him he said, Kaelin, you nailed that, that test, and that had i think some of the stuff i'm not sure, but anyway, it did help now what happened is that it gives us a chance to talk about things yeah now most trips to school are glum. You're depressed, they are depressed, and all that. And what you need is car time. To So may I ask you to do one thing? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, think car time. Yay, car time. God is here with us. Amen. I'm going to sow these things in there. I'm going to sow these things. But especially, Praying for them when they leave, yeah. especially praying for them. Because that doesn't mean anything profound, but the value of that is that they will see God's reality in answering prayers at the points where they really, really need it. But you and I will have to do one thing, and that will, will be to actually free up space in our mind, give it to God. Sacrifice a little bit of worry time, and give it to your children. Amen? Okay, I just want to put it to you that this is something that actually strengthens us. How do we get strengthened? How do we get strengthened uh, for our, for our Timothiness or the Timothys in our life? Let's look at it from verse 6. He's been talking about the, the sincere faith that has in his um, mother and his grandmother. And now it's in Him. Verse 6, For this reason, okay, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Okay, let's look at this verse 7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Last week, I mentioned that I really couldn't relate to that. I really couldn't relate to that because most of the the time, I did not feel a spirit of power, of love and self-control. And there are some of us, probably you know people like that, your life is not under your control. There are some people who can't control their lives. Their lives are not under their own control. They can't control their emotions. they constantly canceling because of the fact that they, they feel the pressure of another person to do that thing that they want, that, that person wants them to do. They are not in control of their life. Paul says that you have a spirit of power, of love, even though you feel bitter or you feel angry or you feel hurt and a self-control. How can he say that? to a person like Timothy, who probably was filled with fear. How could he say that? And I used to think, well, you know, I've heard people say, well, you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of power, love and self-control. So there you go. Feel better? No. What Paul is saying is this. You are not how you feel. How you feel is how you feel, but that's not who you are. Because God has given you His Spirit, and that Spirit is powerful. It's a spirit of power and love and self-control. But it's so embedded in you, it's so inlaid in you that you're not aware of it. You're not in touch with it. It is deep within you, it's in your Spirit. It is not your emotions, it's not your mind, it's not your feelings, it's not your subjectivities, it is your Spirit. Now, our Spirit is different from our soul. In the sense that the Spirit is that which joins Himself to us, it, it's, it can't be necessarily felt. It is deeper than our feelings or our thoughts. It, it's under that radar, it's the, under that cognitive cap that we have. And what Paul is saying is this, you have it. You have to take it by faith, because you will not feel it. You will feel fear, But that fear is not your spirit. The fear that you feel is not your spirit. It's how you are experiencing it. What Paul is saying is this, the trick of it all is to know this, that underneath all the trials and the persecutions and the temptations and all the uncertainties you're having, and all the fear that you're feeling, there is something more powerful underneath it. It is more powerful than the fear, and it is more powerful than the thing you fear. Psalm 34 says, I saw the Lord and He delivered me from all my fears, which means He didn't just deliver him from the feeling of fear, but He delivered him from the objective, object the object of fear. What Paul says is, is saying is this. is very radical, you see. And Timothy is going to have to hold on to that because there will be things where he will be very close to the fire, very close to the fear, and completely uh, uh, unaware of what's going on. Because Paul is saying is this. It is underneath, it is there. That is the real you. You are not functioning the way you are. You are functioning the way you have been, the way your flesh is. And what Paul is saying is this, fan into flame, fan it into flame. Or as, as, uh, as another translation says, stir up the charism, the spirit that's within you. Stir up that supernatural grace that's in you. Stir it up because your survival will depend upon you stirring it up. Does that make sense? What he's saying is this: You know what? You don't feel it, you don't know it, but the objective reality, the, the 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 solida veritas, is this. Underneath your feelings, there is a spirit that is so powerful that you would not recognize yourself if it comes to the surface. If it comes to the so- surface, it's almost as if I shared this before. If you imagine that there is a ball, a fireball that has millions and millions of uh, of of uh, of. Uh, of uh, or flames of fire, okay? And it's under the, under the earth and, and it's covered over. And it will shine and shine and shine, whether you see it or not, whether you dig it up or not, you will begin to realize that, that even though you can't see it, it is there. Now faith is an insight that God gives to us to be able to sense into it that there is underneath all my fears, all my flesh, all my lack of self-control, under that, something solid and powerful there. That is who I am. That's why we sang that song. That's why I like the song that we sang. Even though you even though you can't see him, he is working. Right? Shannon, are we did we get it right? Correct. Okay. Worship and message always. I promise you, we never consult each other. Even though you can't see him, he's working. And there's a way in which that's that's happening. Now, Paul says that the way to connect with that is to stir up, fan into flame, the gift that's in you. Amen? How do you do it, though? How do you actually um, fan into flame the gift that's in you? If it is true, if it is true that God has in you the potential in the midst of scary things to actually experience a boldness that is not of the flesh, but is plugged into reality, yeah? God won't make, won't make us bold about something that is a deception, but it's a, it's a boldness that's connected to the truth and reality. It's not a boldness that is kind of flimsy, it's based on just fanciful fancifulness or even optimism, but it's based upon truth that boldness and that truth will come to the surface, life and immortality will come to the surface. Let me give you an example, maybe then then I'll explain, explain it to you. There was a period in my life, I went through depression for two years. During those two years, I could not get out of bed. Every time I wanted to get out of bed, I needed to pray until the a new, a different kind of spirit in me would rise up. And before that, when I woke up, I didn't even want to face life. And the thing about it is that I had many people to minister to. And I had to minister to them, and every time I looked at my schedule, I thought, I can't do this. I need to get out of ministry, i got to get out of this. I'm not in a place to do it. In fact, I'm a hypocrite to minister to people and see healing and all that take place in life when I myself am um, uh, uh, down in the dumps. And during that period, the Lord began to speak to me and and, uh, show me that what I felt was real, but it was not who I was. That there was someone who was more powerful than all the things that I felt oppressed by. Now, what happened was that words have a way of damning you and there's a way in which we tend to use words as, as categorical, categorical labels. And so someone would say, you're in depression. And with that phrase, I imagine all the things that people say about depression and I was consigned to that. And I realized that the moment I get labeled, I allow myself to be labeled by a word like depressed or uh, in trauma and all that, there's a whole whole load of psychological baggage that comes with it, that I would perforce have been to be defined by. And the Lord spoke to me, that all may be true, but it's only relatively true. I am in you. And so someone spoke to me and said, Michael, you can't get out of this. I said, how? He said, Christ is in you. I said, Christ is in me, but I'm still feeling this. And so he told me, Christ is in you, but that doesn't mean you'll feel it. He's in you. He's in your spirit. When you became a Christian, Christ came into your spirit. And you have to live now by the spirit, according to the word of God. So what he, what, what he said is this, you need to know what the word of God says first, and you commit yourself to it, even though you don't feel it. And so I, I realized this verse I have not been given the spirit of fear but the spirit of power, love and sound mind. I said, there's a disconnect there but I'd say, because God says so, I'll take my feelings and I'll put it under the Word of God. Yeah? I'll take my feelings, the Word of God's here, my feelings are here, I'm going to take my feelings and put it under the Word of God. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to say that's not true. It's it's amply true that I'm, I I'm having, I'm really depressed and very hopeless and wish I didn't live. And he said, Put, put it under that. That will not itself cure you, it will not. That's just head games if you, if you just do that. But you've got to know this, to be committed to the truth, you can actually pray and invite God repetitively again and again until not only is it true in the spirit, but it is true because it permeates your flesh. And so what I did was this, I wake up in my bed, and I would use the same verse again and again and again. And I said, Lord, you say I've been given the spirit of power, love, sound minds. That's you, Lord. That's you. That spirit is you. Lord, come and fill me. Come and fill me. Come and fill me. Come and fill me. I think I must have said it 10,000 times a morning. But you know what happens? It didn't program me. It invited the Holy Spirit to take over. Day after day, I did that. And I would come out, and you would never know that I was in, dep- in depression, so to speak. You'd never know. Because something at a certain point would kick in, in terms of my own cognition, my own emotions. And I realized, wow, the Lord is so big. The Lord is so great. He overshadows everything. And over a period of two years, I saw the Lord overshadowing everything in my life. Everything. And I would go for these meetings and the Holy Spirit would move so powerfully, so powerfully. Some of the remarkable things that God did in changing people's lives uh, happened during that period of time. A lot of the people that I'm still in contact with who have changed or who talk to me about it, they are from that period, that period of two years when I was under terrible, terrible depression. I want to put it to you that when you say that God, that Uh, We have not been given a spirit of power of, of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. You are not denying the truth. You are actually saying, this is the truth that is the ultimate truth. And I want to be present to that truth, but I realize that I've got a thick layer of flesh that is so real to me, it's so immediate to me, that I don't know what to do with it. I can't deny it. I can't push it aside. I can only invite the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where, whether you're brilliant, or you're dumb, you can do the same thing. You can invite the Holy Spirit and be patient and wait on it, wait on it, wait on it, amen? I told this guy, this this friend of mine, a few days ago, who was going through tremendous depression. I said, if you are willing, to do something that doesn't require a lot of brains, doesn't require a lot of skill, but something that requires just patience, and you're just waiting upon the Lord. You just do this. When the, what I call the black dog, what Churchill called it the black dog, comes upon you like that, and you're so heavy that you can't get rid of it, you just pray and praise Him. Praise Him. Don't have to think of special words. Just say, praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Now, he prayed in tongues, so I was able to tell him, you you pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. He said to me, I can't. It just takes too long. I've done it before. I said, no. You just wait upon him. He said, no, because I get distracted. I said, get distracted. It's not not a problem. Get distracted. But the most important, get tracted back. Bring your mind back. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to do it perfectly. But if you begin, begin to build this, All that time you spent praying and waiting upon Him will not be wasted because it will strengthen you. Because it says when you pray in the Spirit, you edify yourself. Amen? Yeah? You edify yourself. Now, I've shared this before, but what what I want to really um, uh, emphasize to you is this. When we are being strengthened for the days ahead and we experience difficult things, these difficult things are actually practice for the days ahead so much so that when the days ahead come you will be actually able to rise up above them in a in a in a in a practice way in a way in which it's not difficult for you to find find the Holy Spirit in your life I'm going to share with you one more story that was that came to me um, and you can find this in 2 Samuel it's about another person who got promoted second Samuel verse 20, uh, chapter 23 and his name is Eliezer. It's interesting that in David's army there were rankings there were the 30 there were the uh, and there were the 10 and there were three um, there were... These were mighty men of valor. And so there's this group of three that were, then, that were called the three. Okay, the three. And I'm going to read you from, from, from verse 8. But what I really want to, sh- to share with you is from verse 9. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Sh- sorry, a He was chief of the three. He was kind of a Gentile, actually. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. See, even with a name like that, you can be a mighty man. Son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. Do you see the vacant space there? The men of Israel withdrew. Philistines were coming to take their land, and they were gathered there, and he stood with David there. Verse 10, it says, He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary. Until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. Sometimes God brings us into such places where there's a, there's a vacant spot, and you are part of the minority, the very few. Eliezer's promotion came on that field when he was called upon. He was called upon. the Lord had need for him. But the part that I wanted to share with you, especially, is how strength came to him. It says that he, what, it, what does it say? He, he clung to his sword, right? He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. There are two stages perhaps, uh, or maybe one, one stage that's very significant. It says he, 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 he fought until he was weary, until he was weary. I like the word until. That means there's a point in which he's so weary that he has no more strength left. He didn't go on the strength that he had only, but he went to the point where his strength left. He went to the point where his strength gave out. Now this is interesting because I find this a principle throughout the Scriptures in which God allows us to endeavor in something and try and fight and get in there and push back and we do it with all the zeal and all the enthusiasm and all the faith and and and, and the, the energy that we have and we do it in faith right we do it in faith I trust you Lord I'm go, I'm not going to fall I'm not going to be like those other people who just retreated in the day, day of battle or who turned back in the day of battle. I'm going to be one who's, I believe in you. I'm going to be one with a good attitude, a good faith. Yeah, can you imagine that? I knew this test is, this is a test, and I'm going to pass it. And so, you can imagine how Eliezer or any one of us can say, I'm going to have faith. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to flake out. I'm going to have faith. And then you're brought to a point that after all that, you want to give up. You actually want to quit. You want to actually give up the ghost and just turn back. Because you have no more resources, you have no more. Have you ever experienced that? You believe and believe and believe and believe and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I have had many, many situations where I prayed for people. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed until, until everything that I prayed for surely did not happen. Yeah, Surely did not happen. And that can actually ruin your spiritual life, it can deface your spiritual life, it make you scarred for for the rest of your life. You don't believe in it, don't believe in prayer anymore because you came to a point where it didn't happen and so you said, it's it's a wild goose chase, it's just fanciful stuff in the mind and this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to bring us to the point where we used our faith and then we finished all that faith and nothing really happened. And after that, our mind is completely made up, completely um, um, impressed by the fact that God does bring us to such situations where these things don't happen. I tried to have belief, but I couldn't. And I want to put it to you that actually Eliezer is a good example for us because he, he, he fought until he was weary. He did not look like the man, or he did not feel like the man full of faith and power, God's man of the hour. He came to an end of himself. Some of us are in that situation where you just feel like giving up, just giving up. And if you give up now, your theology will subtly change. It will change into one in which God doesn't come through sometimes. Or there may be some reasons why God doesn't come through. Maybe you you didn't b- believe rightly or something, but you will your your theology will subtly change, because the defining moment for you was when nothing happened and you got weary. I want to put it to you that often in weariness, that's where God actually does a work, and that He shows Himself. When we've come to an end of our own strength, our own zeal, He comes. I wonder whether there are some of us who are feeling that way. You lost hope. And because you have lost hope, you don't have those inspired thoughts that you had before about fit standing in the gap. You don't feel like, I don't think I can do it. You have felt that because of this weariness, you are not qualified, you're not able to, you are not a candidate for any great thing. Maybe next time. It says, when he came to that point, that's where his hand stuck to the sword, or, a better translation, the sword stuck to his hand. That means, even if he wanted to let go of it, he could not. Because it was not him holding the sword anymore. The sword was holding. The sword. So you can translate it anyway. The hand clung, clung to the sword, the sword clung to, 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 to the hand. But that is actually what God is bringing us to. Not the not the faith in which I'm holding on to the sword and the sword is going to stick with me because, I, because of the strength with which I'm holding it, but at the, a at the point where you finished all that strength, you finished all that effort and all that, and it came to a point where where you have no cognitive, no logical reason for believing for God, the, the sword grabs hold of you. I love that because what that happened is that his hand and his sword became one. Until that time, the, his hand and the sword, which can be interpreted as the word of God maybe, yeah? What do you think? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Yeah. There came a point in time where there was no human zeal left, no more strength anymore, no more faith left. He was at this time where you just have to trust God. You just have to trust God. Whatever it is, it's in your hands now. It is in your hands. And suddenly the sword grabs hold of you. I believe that God is going to bring us to this place of strength that Timothy needed when in the vacant place. We come to this place where we hope against hope, and all our hope got drained, and we got weary of hope. And then, when that happened, we didn't let go. We don't know why we're not letting go. I can't let go. And then the sword comes to you. Amen? I was um, seeking the Lord one day for, in a certain place, and, uh, I was planting a church in Malaysia and after a one year, nothing was happening. And I had preached about healing and, and how God did mighty, marvelous things. And I preached from the whole book of Luke on these things. And for a whole year, we kept praying for people to be healed and hardly anybody was healed. And my, my, my church came to me and says, it doesn't seem to be working. Maybe we're interpreting scripture wrong. And in fact, some people thought, this belief is actually heretical. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe that anymore. But for others, they said, what do we do? And honestly, I had no, I had no, no answer. I, all, all I could say is this, I can only put my experience under the word of God. This is the Word of God. This is my experience. My experience trumps the Word of God because it's always true. But I said, in my mind, I take the experience and put it under the Word of God. And I say, you're true. And I don't know how to explain it. But I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. And so I decided I was going to go on a fast. And in the fast, I had this thought in my mind, if I fast and pray for nine days, the Lord will bring revival to our church, to our our town. So I prayed, of course I shared with you before, I'm gonna tell the old dad joke. The first day I saw visions of hamburgers, the next day I saw Kentucky Fried Chicken. Every one of these days I had visions of food. It was killing me, it was killing me. And at a certain point I got weary and I thought this doesn't work. I know what I'm doing, I'm fasting so that I can force the hand of God. To show God, see, I'm gonna on a on a on a death fast, so that you will do something. And I had all kinds of doubts, but I just kept kept on carrying on. We hit the ninth day, and I thought, okay, it's not yet twelve o'clock. I'm gonna keep going. At twelve at twelve o'clock, the clock struck. We had an old fashioned clock, and we went past twelve, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. I had no choice. I said, if that's the case, now my theology is going to be completely changed. I have to say, God does not heal or He does not appear. And uh, then I realized, I'm a pastor, I can't do that. Because if I I quit the ministry, I'll be a, a secularist or someone who is a Christian who doesn't believe in the Bible. And so, I said, I have to continue. The next day, I was praying. And uh, I went up to another place because I was planting another church there and I came down by bus. But at that point, I've become very more, much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit or what I, I felt was the intuition. I say, Holy Spirit, you, if you tell me to eat grass, I'll eat grass. If you ask me to, do, to, 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 to stand on top of my head and pray in tongues, I will do it, you know, because I was so desperate. And God had brought me to this place. I didn't have much faith, but I was desperate. And I felt this thought, this particle of thought, say to me, pray all this time in the bus. Pray in the bus this whole time. It was a four-hour journey by bus, no air conditioning, nothing. It was very hot, sweltering and all that. And usually what I do is I'll, I'll take a newspaper to to while away the time. Because So I got, a, I bought a newspaper, and then I felt there's something inside me convict me and says, you sh- I told you to pray. Now, was that yesterday's noodles talking to me, or was it truly God. I didn't know. But at that time I'll take anything. So I threw away the newspaper. The person who sold me that started cursing me and took the paper back and sold it again. And I went down and I just prayed. I just prayed as much as I can in the bus. We arrived, I arrived and I went straight into a prayer meeting and there were about twelve people in the prayer meeting. I came into the prayer meeting and I had no expectation, nothing. My faith had been depleted. All I knew was to just stay in there. And I came for the meeting, and we began the meeting. And the moment we began the meeting, the Holy Spirit fell upon these 12 people. Almost, I think all of them fell to the ground under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we were there for two hours after the meeting was supposed to schedule to finish. And one by one, the Holy Spirit led me to pray for them, lay hands on each one of them and one by one they would would get up. Sometimes after one and a half hours, sometimes one hour, sometimes the whole two hours. Before before long, revival broke out in that town and we saw lots of miracles, including the miracle of a woman who was healed, who had her died and had come back to life and that, and that brought a lot of people to the Lord. There is a way in which the strength comes when we hit weary point. And when that happens, everything that happens has to do with the sword catching hold of your hand. And as we saw in Eliezer, the sword stuck to his hand at that point when we ran out of faith. Amen? Let's pray. God, we welcome you. For those who feel like giving up in their faith, in their prayers, in their hopes, for those who have come to a place where they see the times, we see the times, and know that our children matter so much to us that we want them to be strong in the day of battle, that they would not give up their faith in times of trial. We don't know what to do, Lord. But we know that you did not give us children for destruction. You did not give us children so that they would fulfill the world's agenda. But you call them by your purpose and for your purpose, Lord. And so we come before you, Lord. We thank you that you are doing a work in us. And so we commit ourselves to you. We welcome you, Lord. If you have never experienced the, what it is to wait on the Holy Spirit, we are going to go into a, a, a time of uh, soaking. Just talk to God right now and just say, give yourself, give God a chance. Give Him the time, car time. For some of you, it's as simple as car time in which You're just going to spend time praying. Perhaps you don't have no children. You're going to use the car time. Before you put on that CD or or, or before you put on that music, open your heart to the Lord. You may want to put some, maybe worship music or something, or just be quiet before the Lord. You surrender your time to the Lord. For some who may feel like giving up, Giving up your faith, giving up following God. I sense that there are some who have come to a place of weariness. And the Lord would even now come to you. Check your hand. You may have a sword still clinging to it.